0: So tell us about the UN because the UN is is gaining traction so quickly here in Utah. I mean, the UN meets. Mm-hmm. As our, I'm sure most of our viewers know the the only place the UN meets outside of New York in America is Salt Lake City. There, the UN is. Seems very popular in Utah, and a lot of a lot of our viewers think the UN is great, and it's uh, you know it's it's uh, pushing us towards peace, and it's a it's global uh, citizenship. Why are you concerned about the UN? And what is the UN? Why are you worried about the UN with the family? Tell us your experience with the UN. Sure,
1: there's a couple things. One, the one I'll start with is the way I got into any of this was one day I was doing some other research online, and I came across some information, a document actually, promoting sexual rights for children, and it was it's called the Exclaim document, and I I was like, what in the what world is this? I thought it was a joke at first, but I got looking at it and then discovered it was published by International Planned Parenthood Federation. And it was kind of like a, a manifesto about sexual rights for children. And it was very well done, presented in wonderful terms, but it, the underlying premises of it were horrific. And I thought, what, what is this and where is this coming from? So that led me to become in, involved with a group called Family Watch International that has worked at the UN for many years, fighting that exact agenda, the sexualization of children. So what, is, what does the sexualization of children have to do with the destruction of the family? Well, it has a lot to do because if you, if you mess with sex, if you get children to believe that sex is their right, which is what these documents do, they present sex as a right, that it's a right for children to experience sexual pleasure and that it's in fact wrong for us to stop children uh, from engaging in sexual activities if they want to because that inhibits their happiness and pleasure. But if you get children to believe that sex is their right, that it's not tied to childbearing and shouldn't be, that it's not tied to responsibility, it's just simply for fun, that's the only use of it,
0: and welcome to we are the people radio this is your host Jason Preston again with my lovely beautiful co-host what's up baby doing great good to see you good to be in the heavy in the chair next to me again today oh it's always good you're to be. you're looking very bright like a little flower
2: with oh. that cute <laughs> Thank pink you. i see we coordinated today we did plan see this we that's, planned it it's good for yes. fighting crime
0: if you're going to fight crime you got to you know you got match right match more effective yes yes <laughs>
2: All right, like Batman and Robin.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) All right, so we got a uh, great show today. We have an author, very talented person. Uh, Alexi will introduce to her. She's actually done a lot in the fight for uh, the family. Absolutely. And is a huge leader. She's been featured on uh, uh, Tucker Carlson. I mean, she's she's been. um, I mean, she's she's an incredible national figure, really, and she's here in Utah, so we're blessed to have her. But before we and uh, um, what's more important than fighting for the family right now? Right, because that's what this ultimately all this is about is, is they're trying to destroy the family. Exactly. I mean everything that they're doing with through the LGBT movement through I mean a lot of the garbage is, is coming out of the family. So before we jump into it, make sure you're following us. Um, on Rumble, on all of our podcast channels, PodBean, it is we are the people UT. Also our website brand new, been redesigned. It's actually awesome now. Uh, check out our website because if you want to find our band stuff, it's you can get to it through Rumble, and we try to keep it on our website. So go to our website, wearethepeople.org. So yeah. wearethepeople.org.
2: And increasing numbers of banned stuff. Yeah, they don't like China. They, they don't, don't like,
0: like... And they don't like talking about banning the Bible in Utah. Yeah, apparently that we, that's... Uh, we called out Utah for banning the Bible. Yeah, nice uh, information. This episode is brought to you by Global Remarketing. They do heavy equipment and truck sales. They're based out of Utah Valley. A veteran family owned and operating and serving America for 50 years. And again, uh, just a shout out. I want to thank them because they have been very involved in not just helping us, but in the fight for freedom throughout Utah. And there's a, so many good people out there that people just don't realize that are that are in the fight and they're in the trenches and, and uh, they're running their businesses and making money and, and putting money and investing money in, in, into the fight for freedom. And just without people like that, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this. And so I want to just shout out. Shout out, thank out, thank you to global remarketing. So without further ado, let's rock and roll. Why don't you introduce our incredible guest? Awesome, I'm gonna put this right
2: here as as I introduce Kim Ells. Kim Ells is a researcher on family policy, has spoken at the United Nations and around the country on international threats to children and the family. She's a graduate of BYU University, I guess, B-Y-U, Brigham Young University. I like it. BYU (laughs) Brigham Young University University. BYU. (laughs) She is married and the mother of five children. So welcome. I I actually welcome Welcome back back, Kim Els.
0: There is no record though of the first show.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was a great show. It
0: actually was one of my favorite shows. Yes. And then it didn't get recorded. Yes. So I don't know if it ever really happened or if it was. There's no proof. A figment of our imagination. It could have been. But in my imagination, it was great yeah thank
1: you for having me back it's nice to be here
0: it's great to be
2: here so let's see if we can reenact it and and a lot has happened since then too it's probably Mm -hmm. been about a year or so since we've had you here uh last time we were here we of course talked about this incredible book the invincible Mm -hmm. family um you can find this where
1: on amazon's the easiest place okay and then on my website invinciblefamily.com
2: great great um so we'd love to talk about the book a little bit but then there's also been some exciting stuff over the last year you've also gone back to the UN. Uh, We Mm -hmm. had Lisa Logan on uh, a few times. She talked about her visit there. would love your perspective on that as well. Great. Uh, um, A lot of great information to share there.
0: So it really feels to me like a lot of there's a a lot of the attacks we're seeing across this country uh, through the LGBT movement, um, through just Destruction I mean, j- j- of the nuclear family, Yeah, everything is going after the family. Mm-hmm. And so when I when, when we you know, we you, you write the book Invincible Family. Um, obviously, it's, it's very powerful book. And it seems like it's there is it's just written for our time. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about the Invincible Family why you wrote it and what you think are some of the most important principles in there.
1: Thank you. Well, I feel like the, the family is the is the seat of power in a society and not not a lot of people think of it that way we think of power as being in governments or you know companies or whatever and there are there is significant power there but the core power lies in the family and I think and that the family is the, the great obstacle of why governments can't just take over because there's moms and dads in the way raising their kids the way that they want. And so the family is powerful. It's in a position that's almost indestructible. That's why the book is called the Invincible Family, because you know once once a, a man and a woman come together and have a baby, that baby is theirs, and they feel that it's theirs because it is. And no no government supersedes that possessorship of mother and child and father and child together in that family. And so that establishes. Um, organization of original government you know before there was any state whatsoever there was a family and the mom and the dad were the government essentially of the family and so that's preeminent it's first it's dominant and it should stay that way and governments the you know larger governments are important and they serve an important purpose that their purpose is to protect the rights of individuals and families and the problem is when they try when government excuse me, governments or other entities try to usurp the power of the family rather than the prote- then protect it, that's when we're in trouble.
0: You know, it's interesting because um, Julie Beeling, who we've had on the show, she wrote a book called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that, that we've studied too is in the Soviet Union, and she dresses it in her book, one of the major, um, goals they had was to destroy, dismantle the family. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and one of the things they push is that the children do not, it was selfish for a mother or a father to call the children theirs, that the children actually belonged to the state. Mm-hmm. And that it was selfish for them to think that it, was, that it was their child. So, you know, you see it in the past in Marxism, this, this attack on the family, and, I, and I, so I love hearing you talk about that because we've seen it in real, I mean, we've seen it in the last century.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I've actually, just this week I saw online, uh, it was a, cl- a video clip, as we're moving towards more of this perversion of society with these minor attracted people and, and all kinds of perversions, there was a video, and, and hopefully we'll be able to put it online uh, up with this, with, with this video, but it shows basically a pedophile saying that we need to dismantle this ownership concept that we have as parents to their children, that children are, are pretty much theirs for the taking. Mm-hmm. So it's it's equally Marxism so, as a perversion of society.
1: Absolutely, and I talk about that specifically in the book and I show the history of Marxism, and especially from the writings of Frederick Engels. And he claims that, the, you know, the whole point is to disf- get specifically get the woman away from her children so that then the state can manage things so much better, supposedly and which will also free men up sexually, they won't be responsible for their sexual choices or the children that they produce. And so it is, at its core, so- socialism is family destructive. And then I talk about also in the book, um, radical feminism, and feminism and one radical feminist specifically from the 70s, Shulamith Firestone, but she says something really intriguing, and right on, actually, she's very anti family. But she says, that the reason why socialism has not been able to prosper so far, really in any, on the macro or micro level, is because we've not been able to sever the special connective bond between mothers and babies. And that's profound. And that, that's what I thought. And when I heard her, when I read her saying, saying the same thing, I was like, she's absolutely right. But the difference between me and her is, she says, okay, so that's the thing we have to target and destroy. The connection between mothers and babies, because mothers feel that their babies are theirs, and that's a private notion. The the idea that something is yours belongs to you, and that you're responsible for it, and that it just is yours inherently. That is very anti-socialism. Ownership. Yeah, (laughs) owner. With a child, we wouldn't call it ownership. I call it possessorship or belonging. Mm. But the concept is very is the same, and it's very deep. It's uh, it's actually stronger than ownership you know when you birth a baby it is yours and as a father it is yours and because of that the point i make in the book is that because of that because of the bond between mother and baby that is the thing that privatizes the whole world and that's the great obstacle to socialism and that's why it hasn't worked yet because if you think about it if babies were born differently not through sex that of a man and woman coming together and bodily producing a baby from a woman's body, body. If it, if it happened differently, like say from the cabbage patch, as the old fable is, children would be up for the taking. They wouldn't belong to anyone. And whatever the reigning regime was, would be able to usurp babies, new humans for their use. And you can see how problematic that is. But there's a woman in the way you see gumming up the works and a father. And that just happens because every time a baby is born. There's a mother and father there every time. And so it privatizes the world one baby at a time. And it's, it, it fills the whole world with privatization rather than collectivism.
0: It, it's interesting because, you know, it's true. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it's actually amazing to see how effective they've been at dismantling and, and uh, the family and, and the role of motherhood. Because, I mean, you think about the feminist movement, how effective it's been. When you ask, you know, most women what they do for a living or what they do or, or tell us about yourself what you do, the first thing they, they do is, well, I, they, they talk about their career. And if they're, and if they are a stay-at-home mom, you, you know, they almost always hear, what's the response?
1: I'm just a mom. But that's what it. I say is, but that's what they, I'm a that's, mother. Right, first. right.
0: But that's <laughs> what most women are, because they see motherhood as something so, right. Yeah. I'm just a mom. Mm-hmm. And I think that society has done a really tremendous job destroying the value of motherhood and it's making it seem like it's less than like you could mm-hmm. work some menial job and you and a lot of women say, well, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. When reality being a mother is far more important than anything that than any, any job that mm-hmm. career there is. Right
1: mothers establish the foundational beliefs of societies one child at a time because it's mostly mothers in connection with fathers that establish what children think is right and wrong and so that's absolutely key and it's fundamental and without that nothing else works that's the thing mother it's it's interesting though because in a way you understand why motherhood has been relegated to the back seat um, because it's not a public position and it needs to remain a private position in my opinion, but that that necessitates that it's somewhat hidden. You know what I mean? Like a mom in her home doing the extremely valuable and difficult work of raising children isn't gonna be seen by anybody. There's not gonna be awards for her. Oh, look, you you know, like at, at a job you have your, monthly you know anniversaries or whatever motherhood doesn't have that it's very private but that's part of its power and it's meant to be private so of course in our relationships we need to find ways to appreciate the moms and mothers in our lives as well as the fathers but um the the solution is not to publicize parenting that's what a lot of people are proposing is is a solution well we just need to make parenting mothering and fathering paid work. And that will somehow make it better. That will make it more um, less demeaning to the woman because either she's being paid for it or someone else is being paid to raise the child. But but that cheapens everything it that does. families are about. There's first of all, there's no way you could pay a mother sufficiently for what she does. And it's not about the money. It's about raising humanity. And you can only do that effectively one at a time in the in the confines of a family in the beautiful kind of basket of the family that naturally occurs. That's where humans grow the best most of the time. That's not to say that all families are perfect. There's certainly dysfunction. There's certainly bad parents, but by and large, surprisingly, if you think about it, by and large, mothers and fathers love their children would die for them and bend over backwards for them every day. That's remarkable. You know that that someone would take on a, a, a job that is so intensive and high stress and lifelong and do it well for free and that's what the family that's what the family creates is that kind of love because again the baby belongs to you it is yours nobody else's and that kind of brings out the best in most people
0: it's interesting because you look at um, the government media the propaganda machine then the whole message is, mo- is motherhood is not important motherhood's not important you know it's beneath you um And yet you look what the government does is they are fighting for those kids. They are fighting for for their attention. They want them in school. They want them, they want to, they, they want to indoctrinate them with, with, you know, with, uh, with, 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 you know, all the sexual stuff. They want to sexualize Mm -hmm. them. I mean, they are fighting. They want the kids at preschool age, but they are, they, because they understand the power. Remember when we got in Joe Dispenza, when he talked about subconscious, what is, what years are, are, is our subconscious formed?
2: first eight years, seven
0: yeah. or eight years. So, so he says, are you familiar with that? They say the first, mm-hmm. I think, seven years, eight years, whatever it is, six, seven years, you are you are completely in your subconscious. So everything the child experiences in those young formative years forms the operating system, which they think out of and, and, and operate through the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And the government knows that, which is why they want the mom out and they want the kid in front of the TV, they want the kid in front of the social media, they want the kid in, the, in the school being groomed because they realize if we can groom them in those six first few years of their life, we own own the operating system.
1: Right, and it's, it's, it's a concept that is not new. You know, Hitler famously said, he who owns the youth owns the future. Aristotle, you know, said that the destinies of nations depends upon the education of youth. Everyone knows this, but somehow when it comes to mothers, Somehow it's powerless. Oh, if moms are just doing it for free, it's powerless and it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, that's why motherhood is such a powerful position. Is it because it does what you say? It puts in place basically the operating system that the child will uh, function on for the rest of their life. N- not that other things don't matter. I mean, you know, ongoing experiences do matter. But um, there's been study after study, particularly one I'm thinking of, that shows that the the level of warmth of relationship between a mother and the child has a greater effect on that child's success both financially and socially and academically than any other factor for the rest of their lives. So it's not like motherhood doesn't matter. And fatherhood, that is meant to support motherhood. Um, So it matters a lot. And to say suddenly, well, we've got to get mothers out of there because they've got something better to do. That's that's the line these days, right? And again, I'm not- They've done a
0: great job. they,
1: They have. And I'm not against mothers doing other work. I do other work other than mothering. But motherhood is my priority. And I think it needs to be okay for women to say that and to feel that and to invest- years of their lives in that, because that's the most important thing.
2: Do you feel that we're in a tipping point now? Because I I feel, especially in the last few years, we've really seen a shift. Uh, It's almost become overwhelming with the attack, not just on Mm -hmm. kids, parents, education. I mean, it's a full-fledged attack. And even holidays like Mother's Day, Father's Day, (laughs) get overshadowed by Pride Month and whatever heritage month you know that we need to celebrate a whole month for where mother's day gets a day and father's day gets a year or a day and and it's usually just overlooked so it feels like recently it, it's actually been more successful you know they've been uh very successful with bringing men out of the home over the last what 50 or so years with the welfare program and things like mm-hmm. that which really promote single mothers raising their kids and, and living off of checks. But do you think that now in 2023 and looking forward we've kind of tipped the scales and and now it's actually working in their favor whether it's the government the un whoever it is that's orchestrating some of this marxist takeover that Mike you were saying at the beginning of the show do you think that we're at a point where we we're losing that control over our families
1: well i think two things and one of them one of them is hopeful and the other one is less hopeful but um it i'll come back to some of the concerns but the thing is mothers and fathers are not going to suddenly stop loving their babies Mm. right and that's the beauty of the fact that life is regenerative and it keeps happening because the mother is going to love the baby most of the time and the father too and so every time new life is formed there's a new hope and and new love and the mother and father feels something and so it's really really hard to crush that however as you've pointed out there's huge, you know, campaigns to do exactly that to crush motherhood and fatherhood, uh, get everyone as again, Frederick Engels, the original one of the original um, Marxist socialists, to get everyone uh, out of the home and doing socially productive work. So in the socialist mindset, from the very beginning of their original, you know, modern writings, they're saying that work in the home is not socially productive. And my argument is, it's probably the most socially productive work that can be done, because if you don't have capable human beings, that can function in society, which is what mothers and fathers are are creating, you don't have anything, if you don't have people who can grow up and be capable, then the whole society will crumble. And so, um, again, we can go into some of the UN things, but there are definite programs that I'm concerned about, um, pushes for, you, you know, undermining motherhood and fatherhood ongoing that that are, that are huge. I,
0: w- I want to get in the UN in a second, but uh, I have one last question So we talked a little about the importance of motherhood, which is clearly a, has been under attack. Uh, I mean, actually, what's cool is, is it actually feels like there's a bit of a pushback, and you see a lot of women who actually are saying, I'm proud to be a stay at home mom. I'm mm-hmm. proud to be a mother. There is this countercultural movement, which is awesome. Yes. And, and I, I give props to any of those women who are unabashedly standing up for motherhood because there is a pushback. Especially people, as homeschooling has become oh, so much more pr- prevalent here in Utah. Especially. Love those homeschool moms. Honestly, those, the, the mothers and fathers who are homeschooling their kids, those kids will change the world. I mean, you want to talk about producing leaders, nothing produces leaders like homeschooling, because you're pulling them out of a, of a system that says, you know, think like a sheep, think like everybody else to a, independent individuals. And that's what the school system crushes is the individual. So let me ask you this, we talk about the importance of mother 100% agree with you. Uh, but when you look at all the statistics of, of men in prison, uh, rape, all, all the, ma- you know, th- all the, all the major factors, it's fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. So while we talk about how important the mother is and obviously they're both important. Tell me why the father is so important. Why are all these, why are, all these, why is it the factor of all the guys in prison, all the rapes, all the, all the problems that come from fatherless homes? Why is that?
1: Thank you for bringing that up. And there's, although my focus is, is more on motherhood, Um, and there's a reason for that, but there's a whole chapter in the book called the goodness of men, which I hope that you'll read. (laughs) And it lists all these statistics that you're talking about how, if there's a absent father, there's so uh, much alcohol abuse, early sexuality, pregnancy, you know, prison, everything goes up because if the family, if the family is not intact, and again, it's not that people can't survive a broken family, but statistically, if there's a mother and a father, they tend to uh, gravitate towards different roles. And a lot of, you know, feminists say, yeah, it's because women are oppressed. I don't think so. I, I mean, of course some women have been oppressed, but largely it's because men and women have different gifts that they bring to the table and different interests. And they're in fact, complementary. And so uh, if a mother is really gonna be a full-time mom for at least the first few years of her child's life, that's gonna limit her ability to earn money in the public sphere. And so that's where a man comes in really handy because he doesn't have the same physical tie to a baby, it doesn't become pregnant, doesn't have the umbilical cord, cord, doesn't have the means to feed the baby, this is where the mother is important. The father is not unimportant. He has a vital role to provide for the family. And then, of course, offer emotional support as well and engage with the children. It's not like they're totally separate jobs or roles. They're complementary and they're meant to work together. And I think the feminist movement, unfortunately, has, there's been some good things about it, but largely has pitted men and women against each yeah, other in a competition. Instead of cooperating and complimenting. And so father's absolutely vital, uh, first of all, for their their uh, work and also the presence of a strong defender. You know, I read something recently about um, a a convicted pedophile was saying, well, what do you look for in a in a child that you're going to victimize? And he says, well, uh, it's less about the child, and more about the family. And if the father is a threat, then I don't target that child. That shows you how important a father is, just the presence of a father. Yeah.
0: We had, uh, arrows. He, uh, you the, the, the people, I think the show already came out but and he's, he does, uh, he rescues, he, he rescues kids that are trafficked. Mm-hmm. And he says that one of the number one things of, of kids that end up being trafficked and targeted and the kids that they're, they're looking for kids that no one will notice they're missing they look for kids that do not feel valued. They do not feel like they matter. And I just think...
1: <clears throat> Which is so tragic.
0: Yeah, and and that's where, where's that role? Where's the relationship they have with their mother? Where's the father there? Because, and to our listeners, I mean, hopefully that's the number one thing is, hopefully your kids know their love and they matter because that's the number one factor he says in these kids is, is uh, they target kids that feel they don't have, they're not of, they don't have, they're not of divine worth.
1: Right, I'm, if you don't know your mama loves you, not a, less, a lot else is going to go right in yeah. your life.
2: Yeah, and and talking about gender roles, you you touched on it briefly. I I actually find it interesting. I'm I'm learning new languages right now, or at least I try to. And one of the first things you learn is how to conjugate for sex, and it's very simple. Usually, it's here's the the masculine and here's the feminine. So I never know why it's so confusing. To how many genders are there now? It seems very black and white, especially when you're learning language. There's female and there's male um but what you said earlier about innate ability for for a woman to love their child what we're seeing now is well i've always wanted a a son and i had a bunch of daughters so now it's socially acceptable to transition my kid to another sex even before the age of consent so you're seeing this this that's not unconditional love for your child if you don't love your child as it is so we're seeing a manipulation of of our family on top of what's happened socially you have the rise of surrogacy, the rise of mm-hmm. IVF, the rise of now gender transitions. So how does that play in a role? Because that's somewhat uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. You know, We're not just talking about you know who's going back to work and who's going to raise the family. It's now a whole new era, a whole new color of how to navigate this society where it's now science raising your family mm-hmm. or pseudoscience.
1: And those are crucial issues. And again, I have a whole chapter in the book on <laughs> the transgender issue, as well as the other things that you... Uh, brought up. Um, and it's, it's more than just this concerning thing. So I re- mentioned before, Sri Firestone, the feminist, and one she said another really key thing, she said that the goal of revolution has to be not what she calls the elimination, not just the elimination of what she calls male privilege, but elimination of the sex distinction itself. Wow. And she said that that is the key to unhinging the family. And enacting global socialism and, and you have to think through it like why is that right, which I do in the book, but. Um, the thing is if if you negate not just the importance, but the reality of biological sex of the fact that there are males and females, then you also eliminate and socially and moving towards legally the existence of fathers and mothers, because a mother is a sex specific designation Mm -hmm. father is sex specific it means a man Mm -hmm. and so now we've seen that being blown to bits when i first originally wrote the book in 2017 then it it was 2020 when it came out and so even i am surprised at the rapid rate of which we've seen this explode and i say in the book that transgenderism that movement holds the key to legally unhinging biological (laughs) relationships and families and i saw you've seen these but I saw a horrific video the other day of a man pretending to be a woman, pretending to nurse a baby oh, at his she's chest. Oh, freaking
0: insane. And I,
1: I, it's horrible to me, and, and the mother, there was, the, the person who was pretending to a man, be a man was actually the mother and had given birth to the baby, but was insisting that she wasn't the mother. And just the confusion that that baby is being born into, I wanted to cry. But it's more than that. That itself is a tragedy. But it's more than that because it is pushing to change our laws and the recognition of the belonging of a baby to a specific mother mm. and father, mm. which is exactly what Firestone wow. said is the key to unhinging the family and enacting in, global And that's socialism.
0: exactly what they did, what Mao did too. Uh, in China, and that's and that's when this and that's obviously it's why they don't teach this stuff in school about about uh, Mao and about uh, China and about because if we understood what happened with Mao, if we understood what happened with Lenin and Stalin, we would mm-hmm. we, we wouldn't fall for it. But because we're right. so uneducated, so tell us about the UN because the UN is is gaining traction so quickly here in Utah. I mean, the UN meets mm-hmm. as our, I'm sure most of our viewers know the the only place the UN meets outside of New York in America is Salt Lake City. Uh, there, the UN is seems very popular in Utah. And a lot of a lot of our viewers think the UN is great. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, pushing us towards peace. And it's uh, it's global uh, citizenship. Why are you concerned about the UN? I and mean, what is what is UN? Why are you worried about the UN with the family? Tell us your experience okay. with the UN? Sure,
1: there's a couple things. One, The one I'll start with is the way I got into any of this was one day I was doing some other research online. And I came across some information, uh, a document actually, um promoting sexual rights for children and it was it's called the exclaim document and then i i was like what in the world is this i thought it was a joke at first um but i got looking at it and then discovered it was published by international planned parenthood federation and it was kind of like a a manifesto about sexual rights for children and it was very well done presented in wonderful terms but the 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 underlying premises of it were horrific and I thought, what, what is this and where is this coming from? So that led me to become involved with a group called Family Watch International that has worked at the UN for many years fighting that exact agenda, the sexualization of children. So what, is, what does the sexualization of children have to do with the destruction of the family? Well, it has a lot to do um, because if you, if you mess with sex, if you get children to believe that sex is their right, which is what these documents do, they present sex as a right, that it's a right for children to experience sexual pleasure and that it's in fact wrong for us to stop children uh, from engaging in sexual activities if they want to because that inhibits their happiness and pleasure so but if you get children to believe that sex is their right that it's not tied to childbearing and shouldn't be that it's not tied to responsibility is just simply for fun that's the only use of it then you have and then if you consent, convince you know young younger boys and girls to engage in it and then become pregnant, it starts off a family on a completely broken foot, you know, and it, it puts in children's minds, not the idea that the goal, a major goal of life for many people is to grow up, find someone to build a family with, get married, have sex, have children, and then work on raising them. It blows that all out the window. It tells them that sex is just a fun activity.
0: More
2: animalistic yeah so, like ha- so how does p- a promiscuity in this type of of it, its creation but it's obviously not a, a nuclear family creation how does that factor into the goal for degrowth uh, we, we spent a lot of time with james lindsay and mm-hmm. and he's be- become very big on this topic of degrowth and the un as well as mm-hmm. population you know bringing it down to what did the georgia guidestones say you know five hundred thousand people so I know we're trying to break down the family, but isn't the goal that we depopulate and obviously break down the family? But if we're promoting promiscuity and this type of lawless sexuality, how is that factor into their goal?
1: Well, that's of course why then abortion has to be also seen as a right. 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 And so I share a very heartrending story from China during the one-child policy, and you see, in that instance, and. In, in with the one child policy china took the position that they were in charge of reproduction Hmm. rather than women and men you know in pairs (laughs) or god being in charge of reproduction and they forced abortion on millions of women who wanted their babies and fathers who wanted their babies which is a crime that's even difficult to think about but they did in the name of of what's best for the world because they felt like the population was uh, progressing to a point of unsustainability. Sounds
0: sounds familiar. It's uh, the same thing with climate change. It's the same thing. What's best for the world? What's best for the environment? What's best for Mm
1: -hmm. the greater good? There's a chilling quote that I include in there where it says, that's what population control worker is saying, uh, China is a socialist country. And that means when it comes to population, the interests of the state will supersede the interests of the family and individual in the, in the case of childbearing. And then they go on to further say that socialism should make it possible for the government to control and regulate the production of human beings, which you can see how those, those ideas are marching forward in our society right now. And so anyway, a lot of these things are tied to the UN are tied to the sustainable development goals.
0: And how is the UN getting it? How are they like, so they have these goals, Mm -hmm. um, sexualizing children to kind of you know take away the foundation of family how Mm -hmm. are they how are they implementing it i mean they're not they're not a government you know they're they're a global unelected body Mm -hmm. so how how are they actually implementing it how are they actually making this stuff happen how are they being effective
1: through the education system is the simple answer one of the main uh levers that they use, which I'm sure you're aware of, is comprehensive sexuality education, which teaches children that sex is their right. You know, that abortion is right. All the, all these things. Uh, and you can read the book in great detail. I'm not going to go into most of the gory details ab- about that. But um, again, uh, in the book, there's a whole chapter called the global hijacking of education. And so, um, as you say, unelected people. So there's UNESCO, the United Nations Education, Cultural, and Scientific organization for the world. They've appointed themselves as kind of the education czars for the world. We haven't a- a- elected them, but they have kind of put themselves in charge of education. And I chart in the book, the different documents have been in place, the different programs have been in place to infiltrate down Uh, into our education system and to get to get us, which has happened in Utah, at least to some degree, to voluntarily come on board with a lot of these programs. And of course, it's not going to look horrific at first. It's going to look good at first, and it might even be kind of good at first. But the problem is the intent behind it. And as I outline in the book, um, many of the philosophies are very pro-environment, which again, we should take care of the earth, but not at the expense of people's lives. very heavily environmental, family destructive, and collectivist. And so many of the, a lot of the curriculum, the testing that they try to do um, is tied to the SDGs and the principles behind them to get young children on board early with thinking collectively to thinking we have to save the planet before we save people and all of these things. So I don't know how much how deep into the woods you want to go on that. I have a chart in there that lists very clearly. There's the United Nations agencies, there's the SDGs, and then there's this document called the Incheon in Declaration that, go, that uh, basically establishes the UN as the head of education for the world, and then tracing it on down to local schools. And um, that takes a different form in different countries. And you know, in Africa, it looks a little different. There's a huge push in Af- Africa actually to infiltrate schools because they come in and say, look, we have all these wonderful resources for your families and your children, which they actually need. They need it, yeah. And then it becomes coercive because then if they don't go along with comprehensive sexuality education, they don't go along with some of their programs, then they lose the funding, which is really tragic And it's not what God intended. God didn't intend for us to be coerced into doing the right thing. That's the whole point of freedom. He wants to teach us the truth and let us choose. choose. Not, not everybody is going to choose the right way. You know what I mean? And we learn as we go, but the whole, the the main concern for me is the coercion piece of what seems to me, the UN agenda rather than freedom of of choice and leaving most of the core and most important life decisions to families. the the trend seems to be to remove that from the family and make it a global citizenry that is so that kind of volunteers to be governed by you know elites who have appointed themselves over us
2: so africa makes sense and a lot of third world countries make sense because they need the help like you said but why utah do we really need the un stepping in why why do they have a presence here of of one of the few yeah
0: i I wanted to ask you is um, Actually, I was going to pull up some quotes uh, from uh, Ezra Taft Benson, David O. McKay, uh, some of the early leadership, not early, but, uh, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, the leadership here in Utah was very against the United Nations. <coughs> Called it a communist organization. Um, you can find quote after quote where they were very against it and, and encouraging uh, the members of the church here to, you know, stand up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you can, uh, I mean, there's quote after quote from these, these, uh, these guys about uh, the, the dangers of, of, of the UN and the dangers of communism. And it is very clear that the UN is a communist organization. Their roots are very much communistic. Why do you think the United Nations has such a foothold in Utah now?
1: Well, I think it's been carefully chosen because we are very, a very family friendly state we we pride ourselves on having families and having strong families and being family focused so if if they can prove that their tactics can work here it's, i feel like they've they will feel like they've already conquered the center point there may be a lot of other reasons but that's the core reason i feel like because if the, if they can infiltrate here there's a domino effect that's can be why, significant. why do you think
0: utah and and uh, the leadership of both the, all the leadership here, from state and, and religious, is so welcoming to the UN.
1: Um, well, they haven't read my book, first of all. <laughs> That's how <laughs> really we solve
2: should. it. That's how we solve no. it.
1: But but it's, it's a, it comes very well dressed. You know, it it comes in in language of rights and and helping people and and actually the SDGs are great goals like the intent behind them that we won't have hungry people that will solve poverty that people will have fresh water all these some things, of them are great <laughs> most of them are great like in concept yes those are things that we all would want for humanity but the problem is that they're the way that they're going to that they are being pursued are they being pursued through force and coercion and socialism and and communist takeover or our families being allowed the greatest degree of freedom possible to seek those things for the members of their families. And our government's working to protect families' rights to do that, realizing that the goal to leave no one behind or whatever is not realistic because people make different choices. So anyway, the the point is when we need to, the family is the strong point. That's where we started out, right? And And the proclamation
0: of the family is that is is the family is central to the creator's plan of salvation.
1: Exactly. And so if you can undermine that in tricky ways, you know, in places where it matters to a lot of people, then you've, you've succeeded. Now, I will say that not every single thing that the UN has ever done has been bad and wrong. There have been noble efforts. There have been good things. There have been things that uh, various churches have partnered on the UN with, and those have probably been productive. So I don't think we need to run in horror at everything that has ever been done at the UN, and there might still be reasons to cooperate on certain well, there's projects. There's reasons
0: to cooperate with China right? too, but <laughs> China and, and China does a lot of good things. There's good things, but the but the fact of the matter is, you know, and the same thing with with COVID and, and with you know with with these tyrannical organizations is, is they come across with here's a few good things, mm-hmm. but. But they use that as bait to get to accomplish their purposes, exactly. and, and that's the problem between the United Nations, world yep. e- world economic forum, same mm-hmm. thing, and most I'm, of our politicians. Yeah, I mean, look, China. There's some great things about China, but I mean, the fact of the matter is because of these, you know, f- for for temporary profit and 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 to, and for you know to for temporary, uh, yeah, profits here in the state, we've made these backdoor deals with China, that now, mm-hmm. are leading to to the, to the you know, our country eventually will come down because of China, because we've right. enriched them.
1: We now have to We've made the these
0: backdoor deals yeah. that have now empowered them to build it to the point where they're ready now to take us down and they've made it clear they are. And I feel like that's the same thing as United Nations. And so sure, there's some good things about, but I mean, we had leadership back in the day who saw this, who who were very clear that this organization is outright evil. Yeah. And so to make a deal with the devil to get a few perks, at what cost? And now here we are, the United Nations is at a point where where yeah. look at our schools, they've been taken over. Look at their their goals have been very, they've been very effective at implementing them. Mm-hmm. And same thing with China. I mean, it's like we've made all the our, our parents and grandparents and, and we have made so many backdoor deals with, with these globalist organizations that now now they have their tentacles around us. And it's like, where's the wisdom in this and what mm-hmm. do we do to stop it?
1: Right, and I, I went to the UN uh, this spring um, to the Commission on Status of Women in, in New York City. I took, I had been involved at the UN earlier and then I had a surprise baby at age 42. And so I took four or f- five or six years off because I had something more important to do than save the world, which was saving my son. And so then I went back to the UN this year and we don't have time to go into all that. But I was once again shocked at the lack of valuing anything about family and the way that they stir women up to accomplish the nefarious purposes. They like frame a problem as if this is an affront to women and the whole world needs to be, if we really love women, we need to solve this problem, which is a problem they have created. Anyway, so the big big focus of this year's commission on the status of women was digital rights. And what they want, it became very clear after the week of being there, is they want all women and girls, and of course, men online there's many reasons for that. I went to a class specifically with one of the heads of UNFPA and the, the name of the event was A Phone of Her Own. And it was the point of it was every woman and girl should has a right to have a phone. One of the main reasons they cited was so that she can have access to sexual and reproductive health and rights, which is abortion information and comprehensive sexuality education. So again, it's all aimed. And I was shocked to, to hear them say that and not seem to show any awareness of the grave impacts of phone use on girls, you know, And <laughs> that seemed to be, they didn't care. It was all framed as if, This is an outrage that women are on tech less than men are. Again, there's biological reasons for that. It's not oppression, but the whole week was framed to inflame everyone and say women are being oppressed because we're not online and we don't have as much tech as men do. Therefore the world, the tech companies of the world need to voluntarily get all women online. Well, what are the reasons why the the global powers that be would want everyone online? You know, just go down that that road.
2: And where is that heading? So yeah. it seems like you've got some coming attractions from your last visit to the UN. Yes. Anything else you can share with us from some of those meetings of what um, we can expect?
1: One last thing kind of tying back to where we started out with the importance of mothers in the home. Um, I went to an event at the UN that was talking about care rights. And the p- whole point of it was that they are now they're so excited because of COVID that they now are able to frame caring for children and caring for the elderly as a right they say everyone has a right to be cared for okay every child does have a right to be cared for so by his or her parents this
0: so good right? right right this is the un this is what i'm talking but about but this
1: is the thing is they want to frame care as a right and by a right they mean something that the government should provide right right and so now
2: or give give or take away yeah
1: and so previous to this i had already just written an article that was in the daily wire about this very thing and how the biden administration had partnered with the world bank on a new initiative to provide basically global child care for all and they see that as the great the great remedy for all the the problems of the world because you see then women will be in the workforce and therefore the gdp will be will skyrocket rocket because everyone will be so productive children will be well taken care of in in programs Occupation that are activation camps overseen. right while they're in their
0: subconscious and they
1: even say the world the world bank it, it's their initiative is the invest in child care initiative and they even say right in there that that because they want all children to have a quality experience that they will be overseeing the quality of care and the curriculum basically that is going to be presented in daycare centers which brings us back to where we started. They're after the children, and they're using women's rights, a false form of women's rights, women's rights to work outside the home, women's rights not to have to take care of their own children and framing that as somehow a noble thing that the government and even the global government should provide. I'm extremely worried about that. I'm, ex- I'm worried about a lot of things, the SDGs and all that. I'm most worried about this, what I see coming an avalanche against motherhood and because if, you know, they're saying, see, if, if we provide free childcare, what woman would want to stay home? How can you resist that? And if that's accomplished enough women go along with that, it's catastrophic to our society as we have, I believe, already seen and are, are experiencing now. It's not like this hasn't already happened I mean, and we're not already experiencing very severe consequences from women not being with their children at the early stages of life.
0: I mean, look at this country and it's collapsing. You look at, you know, at all the major cities and then literally people, these kids are, are, literally acting like animals in the streets. And I'll tell you what, that is that is partly the result of m- kids being raised without fathers, without mothers, because their mothers are out working with the, the, the destruction of the family. And You know, um, we could talk with you forever, and I really appreciate it. I know you didn't have a lot of time today, but I just wanna thank you for coming on. And hopefully, hopefully we can have you back because I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. But what, what I would like you to do is if you would share with our uh, viewers and listeners, your uh, final thoughts of if you could leave a message with those who might be watching, what would you want them to uh, hear or, or know?
1: Right. Well, in the end, family is everything. It's the beginning of human life. It's all what's best about the human experience. It's family. And the hopeful thing is, if we continue to choose family, like you can't really crush the family you have to abandon it because that's the way that new life is is created. And so if we stick with the family, if we choose to prioritize family along with our other priorities, if we stand by the family, our families, first of all, and the protect the family in law, it really is invincible. And all these terrible things that we talk about at all time are serious and we have to fight them. But the family can win it. And I believe in the end it will because it's the thing that always rises again. It's like the phoenix from the ashes. Like if, if society completely falls apart, which at some points we have to wonder now what's gonna happen, if it does, what's gonna come up from the ashes? The family, it's gonna be the family. It's gonna be a man and woman forming new life. It's not gonna be some government uh-huh. program because there won't be a government program.
0: Because the family predates fam- government.
1: The family predates the state and it will always rise again. Governments have, and dynasties have come and gone, but what has remained? The family. Even in China where they tried to crush it through the one child policy, what remained? The family. So the family is going to remain. And as long as there is love between parents and their own children, we have reason to hope.
0: Wow. Powerhouse, what are your thoughts, babe?
2: You know, we've, we've talked offline about the last generation, the last great generation, some, some of our grandparents, great grandparents that lived through the world wars back in turn of the century early 1900s and how that was the last great generation because they lived through really tough times and they raised kids in a way that would allow for them to grow in a time of prosperity. And then that led to the boomers and the boomers led to pretty much where we are now. Um, Pretty much a very, what's the word? Isolated, very, very uh, protected, very protected uh, generation that was spoiled by not having to live in war or any of those types of horrific situations that our ancestors lived through. Um, And while that gave us a very weak generation, it seems to be vulnerable to these things, to to the destruction of the family, I actually find that we're at the other end of it because as we're speaking about this and we're talking about the gender confusion, the broken families, war imminent on our doorstep, I start thinking, well, what's going to happen to our kids' kids? What kind of generation are they gonna be growing up in? But the hopeful part of it is, they're gonna be growing up in some really tough times. And it's those tough times that actually create the strongest People. people. So I think all of this chaos and destruction that's happening right now, all of the attacks that we're seeing on the family, on the country, on our rights, on our education system, can actually be a good thing. Because I have hope that while we'll have a really screwed up generation to follow, in that generation, there will be some incredible leaders. And some of those incredible leaders will create the next generations, which will be prosperous, and hopefully will continue the strength of the family because we've been through this. So I actually do have hope, instead of fear for what our kids are going to bring into the
0: world. I love it, spitting truth, both of you guys. No, it's it's and it goes back to what Jordan Peterson says, you want to fix the world, fix yourself. You know, and I believe it starts with you know, the men putting their own lives in order and being the type of man that doesn't abandon his wife. So then being the type of man that can take care of his wife so his wife can be free to raise the children. And and it's the same thing with the women is, you know, be, is put your own life in order and be the best mother you can be. And uh, that's how you change the world. Absolutely. It, it starts there, you, you know, and then that circle can grow outward, but you can't neglect the nucleus and then try to fix the world while you're a wreck inside. Doesn't, God doesn't work that way. It doesn't, that's change doesn't happen that way, so.
1: I always say the family is always saved one family at a time. Yeah,
0: and, and the nation. Mm-hmm. saved save one individual, one and, family at a time. And don't
2: forget your community too. Once you you get your own house in order, then you
0: can start helping your immediate and then it just grows outward. From yeah. You. Um, Kimberly, will you share your book again and where they can get it?
1: Yes, it's The Invincible Family um and i've actually just recently started writing on substack so i'd love for people to follow me there that way you'll see Where can they find you all my new writing so it's kimberlyells.substack.com or e- more easy is just to google invincible family substack sign up and you'll see everything
0: that i write okay. awesome. what a privilege uh honestly i mean you know we always talk about the the it's all about winning your backyard um and this is the same principle forget dc dc is a, is a absolute disaster but we can win our backyard and we can win our families. And that's, and that's the, and that's the battle that matters most of all. So, uh, please follow, um, you know, Kim, Kimberly, make sure you follow her, her sub stack, get her book, read her book, uh, knowledge is power. And, um, you know, it's, it's an incredible time to be alive. It's incredible to see this. And it's also inspiring to see this turn, this shift where you're seeing women that are proud to be women again, that are rejecting, femininity, or the feminist movement, excuse me, the feminist movement, and men who are starting to stand up and be look to be men again, and leaders, not just these beta males. So anyways, to our viewers, thank you guys for supporting, please like, please share, please subscribe. And uh, yeah, what an amazing time to be live. You got something you want to say real quick?
2: No, I just I really love it. The book is called The Invincible Family. But I don't think we should neglect the subtitle, which is why the global campaign to crush motherhood and fatherhood can't win. Amen.
0: So to our our listeners and viewers, thank you for your support. God bless you. God bless America and God bless Utah.